HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. At Whole Foods Market, we offer premium products without premium prices. Our everyday value items are free of artificial preservatives, colors, flavors, sweeteners, and hydrogenated fats. Priced competitively to average supermarket prices, the 365 Everyday Value brand offers food that meets our strict quality standards. Compare our peanut butter, canned beans, and cereals to the other guys. You'll see what we're talking about. Visit one of our six Manhattan stores in Tribeca, Bowery, Union Square, Chelsea, Columbus Circle, or the Upper West Side. Open seven days a week, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. For more information, visit www.wholefoodsmarket.com. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And uh, officially, it's fall. September 21st, official day in the calendar. But uh, so far here in New York, it feels more like summer. It's been hot and humid and sticky and 80 degrees on September 27th. And that's kind of warm. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, who's denying climate change now? Michelle Bachman. It's sort of weird, because I was walking around the farmer's market yesterday, and they were pumpkins and squash and all that fall stuff in the markets, but I was walking around in shorts and t-shirts and sweating like it was July, so I'm totally confused about what season it is. Looks like fall, feels like summer, very confusing. So I thought it would make sense that uh, this week's show is all about seasonality and why you should give a shit about seasonality. Now, I'm talking about produce here, not the weather. Fruits and vegetables, people. The stuff that your mom always told you to eat more of, but your mom probably didn't cook them very well, and maybe you hated them back then, maybe you still hate them because of that. 
The produce that you can buy pretty much all year round, no matter what it is, but that tastes like crap most of the year, except for when it's in season. And, you know, everything has a season. We've heard the song. We've read the verse. But did you know that in the Bible, in Ecclesiastes, they were actually talking about fruit? Yes, it's a little known fact. They were talking about the ripeness of fruit. Because fruit tastes especially great when it's in season, but how could we know that? We're not farmers. A lot of us never get to eat it in season, since we can get all the fruit we want all year round, all the time anyway. Maybe we don't even know what the season for anything is. And, you know, maybe all these people on the radio and on TV are yelling at me constantly to eat more seasonally, but I have no idea what the seasons are. How do I find out? Where do I look? Why should I even care what's in season? Does it really matter in the bigger picture of things? It's very overwhelming, isn't it? Even I'm overwhelmed. Now, I think especially if you don't cook much or at all, maybe you really don't get a chance. You don't really get a chance to learn what's in season. I think having to actually go to a market or a store and pick out your food gives you a greater chance of stumbling into seasonality than if you eat that same mass-produced foodiness all the time. Now, I've been talking a lot on this show lately about foodiness, but if you're not sure what I mean, what is foodiness? Well, foodiness is food's trashy cousin. The cousin who, like, teaches you to smoke and wear makeup when you're nine. That's who foodiness is. Foodiness is food that's been hijacked and shrink-wrapped in shiny plastic. Not exactly what we used to call junk food. Junk food, it was kind of easy to get a sense of what it was. This is more insidious than that. Foodiness is junk food in green organic sheep's clothing. So it's like yogurt for kids flavored with trick cereal or artificially flavored strawberry cereal bars. It's anything that's been altered, processed, manufactured, packaged to seem like real food, but it's not. And foodiness is what a lot of us eat since it's so easy to get and it tastes so good and maybe we don't even realize it's foodiness and not food. But real food tastes really good too. And it's kind of a different kind of good. It's a good good. It's a good that maybe you haven't had in a while or maybe you've forgotten about. And it's a good that usually, I would say, often, almost always comes from cooking. But a lot of people can't cook. Like nothing at all. Not even the basics. The stuff that maybe you learned from your mom or should have learned from your mom way back when. The stuff I learned from my mom at home. Partly out of interest in cooking, but mostly out of necessity. I mean, I had to feed myself something when she was at work, you know, post-divorce, 1980s, single mom style. If I wanted to eat, I had to cook. And back then, there was less foodiness around. There wasn't any, no, no foodiness, but there was less. And in our house, there was almost no foodiness and mostly real food. So we'd go to the supermarket once a week. We shopped for food. We brought it home. We cooked it. And once in a while, we would buy a few lean cuisines or something, some proto-foodiness item like that, but not too often. You know, my mom's from Europe. We shopped. We cooked. I learned. We ate. One of us cooked. So I just always assumed that everybody learned that little bit of basic cooking from their moms like it was just part of growing up. But I was wrong. I had no idea. It turns out that actually not too many of us can cook. 
So lack of cooking skills plus living our life on planet foodiness, which we do, where you never even need a fork, adds up to some big problems for us humans. Some really big problems in the form of us getting really big. Obesity, diabetes, heart disease, you know, you know all about it. Everyone's talking about it. The deeper we sink into our foodiness torpor, our foodiness-induced stupor, the closer we get to that Wally type existence. You remember that movie Wally came out a few years ago? The people in Wally were so fat and immobile that they all rode around on little automated lazy boy recliner chairs on a moving track. So they never had to get up or walk or do anything for themselves. And on those little chairs, they had screens, flat top screens, flat screens, like plugged in right in front of their faces. So they never had to confront any people. And they drank all their food. They drank these slushies, and there was an ad that advertised hot dogs in liquid form. So you didn't even have to do the work to chew. You could just drink it and swallow it. And that's kind of where foodiness is taking us. Fat, sick, unhealthy, immobile. A big human sinkhole of sickness. A typical American eats a diet that is primarily made up of processed corn and wheat flours, sugar, corn syrup, industrially processed meat, and salt. And that's just for breakfast. It looks like foodiness is making us kind of dumb, too. And too tired and sick to get up and go to a store and push a heavy cart full of actual food around the store. Bags of chips weigh less than bags of carrots. And who wants to work so hard to eat anyway? So if people aren't cooking, they're not food shopping either. You know, they may go to the supermarket and get a cart full of foodiness, all colorful and shiny and microwavable. But there's no food in that cart. There's a big difference between food and foodiness. The average supermarket now contains approximately 40,000 items. 40,000 items. Now, how many of them are actually food? My guess is maybe 500, and I'm being generous. That's a lot of foodiness to cram into a little shopping cart, although our shopping carts are getting bigger too, if you've noticed that. So where's the food? The act of picking out our food and smelling it and touching it and knowing where it comes from and when in the year it's at its best and when to avoid it. It used to be a no-brainer because we had no choice. There was no foodiness. There was only food. And what I'm talking about here is seasonality. But seasonality is totally lost on most of us. It used to be we had no choice. There was food. You got that food in season. When it went out of season, you didn't get that food. But now how can you know when we can get everything all year round? And that's not a good situation to be in, being able to get it all year round. That kind of sucks because it means we've lost our natural connection to the seasons and the excitement and anticipation that comes with waiting for the first amazing strawberry of the spring. Foodiness gives us the illusion of year-round seasonality. So having that blob of gloopy strawberry goo in the bottom of your pre-sweetened yogurt every morning of the year, that's giving us faux seasonality. That's saying to us, oh, we can eat strawberries every day of the year because here they are in our little yogurt. We can get strawberry yogurt all year. Thus, strawberries are available all year. They must be in season now. Well, yeah, but when were those strawberries in your yogurt picked? And what was done to them before they drowned in your yogurt? And what would they have tasted like on their own without the yogurt and the sugar and the starches and the thickeners and the artificial sweeteners and the colors that went in there? 
Seasons change. Fruit in season changes. It's all part of the great circle of life. Find a fruit in season that works for you. Chop it up. Chuck it into some plain yogurt. Add a little honey. Give it a shot. Maybe it'll taste a little bit better. Here's a really quick primer on that. Berries come out in the spring. Peaches come out in the summer. Apples are around in the fall. Bananas all year round. Bananas are a, give- are, are a giveaway. They're like a gimme. Bananas are a freebie all year round. They're never in season here. They don't grow here. And I'm actually okay with them. I think bananas are an okay exception to the rule. You have to be flexible and realistic about this stuff or you'll just drive yourself insane. So I let you eat bananas all year round. So in last Sunday's New York Times, Mark Bittman, who uh, is a food writer, wrote this really great editorial piece on um, the prevailing myth in our culture that fast food is cheaper than actual food or what I like to call real food. People have this idea that the reason poorer people eat more fast food is because it's cheaper than real food. Now, fast food isn't food. It's foodiness. So much has been done to fast food to get it into those little cardboard packages that it's not even food anymore, or at least not a whole food or not a real food. It's what I would call foodiness. So the idea that it's cheaper would obviously explain why lower income people eat so much of it. But that's actually not true. Real food wins out every time. You cannot win with foodiness. You think you can. You cannot win. So in this piece, what Mark Bittman did was he compared a fast food dinner for four with a cooked simple dinner for four of a roast chicken, simple salad, some whole wheat bread, some whole potatoes, and milk compared with a meal of a couple of burgers or I guess it was like four burgers and fries and some sodas and things like that for four. The home-cooked meal turned out to be significantly cheaper. And even cheaper than that was a dinner for four of rice and beans with bacon and green peppers cooked into it. The fast food meal came out to $28 for a family. The home-cooked chicken dinner was $16 for a family four. And the rice and beans dinner was $9. So the idea that people eat fast food instead of real food because it's cheaper just doesn't hold electrolyte-enhanced water. It just doesn't work. People eat fast food because it's easy, because we're all kind of lazy and we're living in Wally world. You don't have to make any effort to get it. You don't even have to get out of your car. And fast food also has a highly addictive flavor profile in it of salt and fat and sugar. And your brain gets hooked on that combination the same way it gets hooked on addictive narcotic drugs. It activates the same pleasure centers in your brain. You become addicted to those flavors, and then you need more and more of them to sustain the high. And the food industry knows that, and they actually highly tune and calibrate those foods in order to activate those senses in your brain. So it's a drug, basically. You need more and more of the drug. To get, you, to get you high from that. So that's part of the reason why people eat it. It's easy. It tastes good to them. It's highly addictive. And I think also really part of why people don't eat it, and this was Mark Bitmo was saying, is that most likely people just can't cook. They never learned how. They didn't have the mom. They didn't take home ec in school, which is a tragedy because I took home ec and I loved it. Even though I think all we ever cooked was actually chocolate chip cookies. It was still really fun. Or people say they're too busy to cook. 
they're working. They work too many hours. They have kids. They can't cook. But Americans of all income level, levels all across the income spectrum report watching an hour and a half of TV a day. So you could take that hour and a half of TV and cook dinner during that time. Or you could do what I do, which is while you're watching Jeopardy, you start cooking some rice, you heat up a can of beans, you eat dinner. You can still listen to the TV while you're cooking. You could put a TV in your kitchen. You could cook. You have time. I work a lot. I still cook. So people need to learn to cook. Just really simple, basic stuff. Nothing fancy. Nothing gourmet. You don't have to go to culinary school. Simple, basic food. Simple, basic ingredients. Preferably in season. But let's get real here. That's not always possible. So just making the effort is good. Even if nothing's in season, but you're making the effort, that's a really good start. And I do that. I use things like canned beans and I use frozen vegetables in the winter and I buy cheapo factory chickens once in a while. And next week, actually, on our show, Meet Your Meat, we'll be talking a lot about those chickens. And that's all still way better than an all-foodiness diet. I would rather you ate canned vegetables and frozen chicken parts than fast food or foodiness. But if you use that stuff and you add in just a few basic cooking skills and a few seasonally available foods in each season, you could make a huge change for yourself. And I know it's not easy. Believe me. And I think it's probably safe to say that there are a lot of us who have never tasted a food right in its season. I mean, how could we? They keep it from us. The food industry works to keep those foods away from us because they don't want to let us in on how good they actually are. We live in a shiny plastic 24-hour foodiness world of convenience stores and drive throughs that only offer us the smells of floor cleaner and french fry grease. So how are we to know what a ripe peach in July would smell like? Or that asparagus is really only in season for a few weeks in the spring? Or what a late June sun-ripened, still warm strawberry could even taste like? How would we know? Well, they certainly don't taste like the bright odorless, seasonless produce in the plastic-wrapped boxes that we're greeted with, at, you know, year-round at our mega markets. They look so beautiful, so appealing, those strawberries in the boxes with the plastic wrap. They're so big and red, glossy. But they don't taste like strawberries to me when I taste them in the winter. They taste like disappointment. Big, red, shiny disappointment. But that's only because I know what they should taste like. I'm lucky enough to have experienced this. I grew up in a semi-rural area where they grew strawberries and we would go and pick them every June and July and we'd eat them for a week and then they'd be gone. And that's what they tasted like. So foodiness has stolen that experience from us. They've robbed us of it. We know what strawberry flavor should taste like, but we don't know what strawberries should taste like. Foodiness has hijacked the seasons to this year-round land of shiny, subpar produce. And I'm here to take that plane back and turn it around and head back to the great land of seasonal, tasty fruit. I'm going to land that plane. So last weekend, I was hanging out with two of my cousins, two of my boy cousins. I mean, they're men, they're adults, but... I call them the boy cousins as opposed to the girl cousins. And neither of whom can cook. Like, nothing. And um, 
neither of whom are in the lower income category. You know, they're not, they're not poor. They're not parents. They don't have any kids. They're not living in rural or urban food deserts where they don't have access to food. In fact, they're both highly educated, very successful media people. One of them is a documentary film producer, and one is a national-level news anchor. I'm not giving any names here. Don't get excited. And they both live very comfortably. They can afford the highest quality food. And they live in pretty food accessible places. One lives bi-coastally in Brooklyn and L.A. And one lives in Washington, D.C. They both had really nice middle class upbringings in good suburbs. But did I mention that neither of them can cook? Like nothing, not at all. No cooking. So... My first cousin, the Brooklyn, L.A. cousin, aware of this detriment of his non-cooking life and recently engaged, proposed that we get the other cousin from D.C. up to New York for the weekend, during which we could hang out and catch up because we hadn't hung out in a long time, and I could teach them how to cook, (laughs) okay, all in one night. Now, I said to him, okay, normally I charge $100 an hour for private lessons, but you're family, so I'll cut you a deal. So on Saturday, we all headed off to the farmer's market at Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn, and uh, we shopped for dinner. So as we were on our way over there, I kept asking them what they wanted to learn. I kept saying, give me an idea of what you want to do. Tell me what you want to eat. What do you want to cook? They both kind of shrugged and said, like, I don't know, the basics? And one of them said, I don't know, maybe something green? So I decided it would be an excellent teachable moment for them in seasonality. And I took the matter into my own hands. They are so removed from real food, other than enjoying it when they're served it, that they didn't even really get a sense of like what we should buy, what we should cook. So I took it into my own hands and I bought a bunch of different stuff and very specifically late summer, early fall produce. Now, I didn't have much of a choice because we were at the farmer's market and that's how they sell it. But I bought a couple of bunches of really pretty mixed heirloom tomato, uh, sorry, heirloom carrots, little, you know, different color, purple and orange and yellow carrots. And um, I got these two bunches of red Swiss chard that were so fresh, they were sparkling. I've never seen fresher Swiss chard. And I got a bunch of little mixed baby tomatoes, tiny little tomatoes, and a little plump uh, squash, like a little winter kabocha squash. And for some protein, I bought some fluke from the guys who sell fish that they catch in Montauk. So it was really fresh fluke. If you don't know what fluke is, it's a fish like in the flounder family. It's sort of a bigger flounder. A flatfish. Fluke. The flatfish. So it was really real food stuff. Like lucky urban food smugster kind of food. Brooklyn, Berkeley kind of food or was it maybe it was just food the way food is supposed to be and the way food was before foodiness jacked it maybe we don't have to label it as real food maybe it's just food so we took it all back to the apartment back to the brooklyn cousins apartment and um, i showed them just really simple ways to cook it all i didn't want to complicate things i didn't want them to be overwhelmed. I didn't want to turn them off. I wanted them to see how relatively easy it is to do this. So what did I do? One of my favorite techniques for cooking vegetables, which was roasting. 
All you do is take stuff and toss it with a little olive oil, a little salt, put it on a sheet pan, put it in the oven. It's the simplest thing. So we took the carrots and the tomatoes and the squash on separate pans, put them in the oven, roasted them until everything got caramelized and soft and creamy and sweet and delicious. We basically roasted the tomatoes until they fell apart, and those were the sauce for the fish. Now, the Swiss chard, all we had to do was give it a really good bath in the sink. And when you wash greens, you have to really wash them. So you got to fill that sink up with cold water, put in the greens, and really swish them around. Give them a really good bath. Then lift them out, drain the sink, wash it out, and do it again. It's a little bit of work, but it's totally worth it. Then the chard got drained (laughs) in my cousin's dish draining rack because he didn't own a colander. So we improvised and we put it in the dish rack, which I thought was actually really clever of me. And then we just sauteed that in olive oil with one crushed clove of garlic. Really easy. And when you saute greens, you just put them in the pan and you cook them down until all the water's gone. That's all there is to it. And then there was that fluke, that fluke fish that we bought. Well, we just took those, put a little salt, dusted them with just a little bit of flour, put them in a hot saute pan with some canola oil, cooked them till they were golden. Took about two minutes aside. Easy. Super easy. The roasted tomatoes went on top of the fish as the sauce. The chard, the carrots, the squash. We ate them on the side. I had a bunch of herbs left over from something else. I had some basil and some mint. Chopped that up, threw it on top. It made this amazing meal. It was easy. It was quick. It was all super seasonal. Even the fish was in season. And it was all super delicious. Really good. And my point here I do have a point, is that everything that we bought that day at the market could also have been bought in the supermarket. These are all things that are available in the supermarket. Nothing was unusual. Nothing was exotic. Nothing was too out there. And it was all really freaking delicious. And that's what real food is about, that deliciousness, that freaking deliciousness, the taste. Real food tastes better. But you may not know that if you've only ever eaten foodiness because you have that foodiness taste in your mouth. And once you get that foodiness taste out of your mouth and you wake your taste buds up from their drug-induced stupor, you realize that real food just tastes better. And isn't that really what we want from our food? We want it to taste good. And conveniently, seasonal foods tend to taste better too. I mean, really, we're motivated by taste. Forget about the environment and organics and sustainable and all of that stuff. We're looking for taste. We're looking for flavor because if it doesn't taste good, we're not going to eat it. But you have to kind of train yourself out of the foodiness taste bud torpor and into like the real food, like a live taste bud experience. And like I said, the foodiness industry, they don't want you to know that. They want you to eat their super processed all year round available stuff because even a strawberry in winter is foodiness. It's still a strawberry, but it's a strawberry in winter, and it's foodiness because it isn't real. It's not grown for taste or fragrance. It's grown for its looks and its durability. It's not really food. What kind of food is grown for shipping and durability that can taste good? Now, I can totally hear people out there rolling their eyes. As an eye roller myself, I can hear people rolling their eyes and saying, yeah, whatever, It's really hard. It's impossible. And besides, I like eating berries in winter. So take your elitist foodie ways and go back to Brooklyn. Okay, now people, I know that. I hear you. I know it. Even I find myself saying that because here I am in like 
ground zero of like food smugster hipness here. And I'm not a fanatical evangelist. I'm a realist. I'm super practical and I know how to find balance in all of this. I care about the environment, but I'm not a food fascist. I don't buy strawberries in winter. But I will buy frozen blueberries year-round because to me they taste like blueberries should taste if I got them fresh in August. Even in February they taste like that frozen, and that's the difference. The fresh strawberry in January tastes like plastic disappointment. The frozen blueberry tastes really good because it's grown for flavor and then protected by freezing. Like I said, I'm a realist. I drive a car. I don't always recycle. I'm human. I buy frozen berries. But what's even better than that is actually eating something that is in season, in season. Like an apple or a pear. Like a really good, crisp, juicy apple. And guess what? It's apple and pear season right now. It's starting now. So seasonality doesn't have to be overwhelming. You don't have to look at charts and graphs of the country and figure that out. Although I can send you to some links for that on the, on the vlog. If you just learn like one or two foods that are in season right now, you can work with that. Because then you have to wait until the next season anyway. So right now, I would say across like the entire half of the United States, the northern half of the U.S., and probably already reaching down into the south, it's apple season and pear season too. But I think people like apples more than pears. So you see, that's easy. Now you know. It's apple pear season coming into season right now. Now, in the markets, there's still late summer peaches and nectarines and plums, the stone fruits. That's what we call those, the stone fruits of summer. But they're not around for much longer, another week or so, depending on the weather. So since we're flowing right into apple pear season now, that's what I want you to think about. And the plus of the fall fruits is that they store really well. So we'll have them all winter until next spring. They won't be as fresh, but they'll still be as good. Whereas something like peach, you can't store it all winter. It doesn't work. So how do you know what's in season? Other than me telling you, how do you know? Well, first thing you want to do is just look around you. Look at the calendar. Look at what holidays are coming up. Think about foods that are associated with holidays and holiday seasons. We eat those foods on holidays for a reason. Like apples and pumpkins at Halloween. Squash, Brussels sprouts at Thanksgiving. Chestnuts, sweet potatoes, cranberries at Christmas. Lamb, peas, mint, spinach at Easter and in the spring. We've always eaten those foods at those times of year and associated them with those holidays because that's when they're in season. That's why we eat them then. That's where food traditions come from. That's all we could get at that time of year. So that's what we ate. Why did we eat turkey at Thanksgiving? Because the wild turkeys are ready to be killed around Thanksgiving. Now, I know it all seems impossible and really frustrating when all you really want is those strawberries. Maybe I should write like... Seasons for Dummies. I should write that book. But we're not dummies. We were just raised on foodiness. We've been sort of forced into being dumb by this. So here's a couple of quick tips to finish up the show. When you walk into your basic supermarket, you generally enter through the produce section. And usually right up front in the produce section, they're going to have a display of what's in season. So right now you'll probably see bags of apples, like local apples, or like... Six weeks ago, you probably would have seen piles of cherries and berries there. They're taking a gamble on that stuff because it's more perishable. And they want to move it and they want you to buy it. So they put it right there 
in your face. So generally, that's a good rule. If it's right there in your face, right up front, it's because it's in season. And a lot of stores are even hanging up charts now of what's in season, so you can get a sense of that. And there are all kinds of online resources, too, that you can visit. And like I said, I'll put some links to them on the vlog later when I get home tonight, and you can check those out. The vlog is my foodiness blog on letsgetrealshow.com, by the way. You should check it out. There's a post on there already. And, of course, farmer's markets are really great for seasonal food, except that you have to make sure that the farmer's market you're going to is a real farmer's market. There are a lot of fakey farmer's markets out there selling stuff that's not local, not seasonal. It's just stuff they buy from wholesalers and then resell. So you really want to make sure that the farmer's market you're going to is actually farmers. Talk to them. Ask them where their farm is. Ask them what they're growing. They'll talk to you if they're a little cagey about it. It's a good chance they're not the farmers growing that food. And also when you're in stores, look at packaging and see what it says. Everything has to be labeled. Place of origin. You'll know right away. If the apple says chili, maybe don't buy it. If the apple says New York State or Washington or Oregon, depending on where you live, it's a pretty good chance it's in season. And I would say that if it comes from halfway around the world or halfway around the country, it's probably not going to taste as good as the one that's in season and coming from maybe your neighborhood. So give it a try, pick a food or two, and commit to eating it while it's here, and then maybe not again until next year. That's what I like to do, like in the spring when asparagus is in season, I eat as much asparagus as I can possibly stomach, knowing that I won't eat it again until the following spring. And those foods won't disappoint you. They'll be at their best. You'll eat your fill of them. They won't disappoint. Life is full of disappointment in plenty of other ways, so why should you have to eat your disappointment too? Once you learn to eat a few good seasonal things that taste like nirvana, why would you ever want to eat shit again? So we're out of time. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Real. Remember, you can always check out letsgetrealshow.com. And all these episodes are podcast on iTunes. You can also always listen to everything on heritageradionetwork.com. Good night. for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Heritage Meat Shop has just opened in the Essex Street Market. Open from 9 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and 10 to 6 on Sundays, the Heritage Meat Shop supports independent family farms and animal welfare-approved and certified humane raising standards. Most importantly, they offer a wide variety of heritage breeds. So stop by, get a sandwich, try the charcuterie. The Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market.